0: This morning we have the privilege of looking at the Word of God, James chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? For whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you suppose And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. For the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? It is good to be together this morning, grateful for each of you uh, that are here uh, today. Uh, quick question, Um, you ever hear anybody hit a golf ball? I mean, not just smack at a golf ball, but really hit a golf ball I, I don't golf all the time but the handful of times that I have played golf you can tell when someone knows what they're doing and, and you can tell it blindfolded because the sound that the club makes when it hits the ball is just unlike any noise that I've ever made before and in fact there's a couple times that I've gone to play golf with somebody and said now Teach me how to do that. I, I, I would like to make that same sound. I'd like to be able to have to go look for my ball instead of seeing it three feet in front of me. I would like the same experience that, that you're having. Show me how to do that. And most of the time, someone who, who has some patience with you will, will teach you a couple things about golf. And, and they're going to focus on a couple of different areas. Now, now listen, you might want to take notes on this. Um, you know, there's nothing like taking notes from someone who doesn't know how to play golf. Uh, but but one of the things that they talk about first is you got to get your feet in the right uh, position. Um, and so you kind of focus, I don't know if these are my right position or not, but the, the feet matter. They're going to say, listen, you want to pay attention to your feet. And, and then another thing they're going to talk about is, is they're going to talk about your your, your front shoulder. They, they talk about the front shoulder all of the time. Sometimes I have to ask which one is my front shoulder, but that but they talk about that front shoulder really, really matters. And, and then the next thing that they talk about, is, is that they talk about your head. You, you, you've got to keep your head down. You got to, uh, this is apparently is important. You have to look at the ball. Uh, that, that's, that's one of the things to do at. And, and, and these are kind of the top three things that, that people have talked about with golf. It's your feet, it's that front shoulder, it's where you hold your head. And in fact, if you're going to try to understand some of these things about being a better golfer, there, there are just areas that they focus on. I asked Brian uh, yesterday, I said, when, when, when you give uh, instruction for voice, and, and Brian is a, is a premier voice uh, teacher, but again, it hasn't done me any good. Uh, he, he is a premier in, instructor of, of voice. And I said, well, what is it that, that, that you talk about uh, when, when, you, when you help somebody uh, with their, their vocal ability? And he, he talks about their, their, their posture, uh, he says that's really important. Uh, he, he says they're, they're breathing. They, they got to work on. I'm like, I don't know. I've been breathing my whole life. I, I don't know why I'm not a better singer. Uh, and, and he talks about you, you got to let go of some some tension. I'm like, well, I'm one of the most relaxed people that I. Okay, that may not be true either. Um, and, and so he focuses on those those three areas. Now, what if that the area that you want to focus on this morning. <laughs> get rid of that before I hurt somebody. Uh, what if the area that you want to work on this morning is not improving your golf game? What if it's not improving your vocal ability? What if it is improving your walk with God? Well, What if that's the area that you would like to see worked on? Well, in this epistle, James says, listen, we've got three areas of life that we can look at. If you want to improve your walk with God. He he says, let's let's start by looking at three areas of focus in your life. And and the three areas that he talks about are your fights, your friendships, and your family. That's a list, isn't it? He he says, listen, if you want to improve your walk with God, if you want to grow deeper in your walk with God, if you want to be more effective as a disciple... He says here are three things that we need to pay attention to. He says it's your fights, your friendships, and your family. Now, how much of those are interrelated really depends on you and and your life, your fights, your friendships, uh, and how much those diagrams overlap. But it's your fights, your friendships, and your family. In fact, as we take a look at this passage, one of the first things that he talks about here is that we have to understand our fights. Did you notice that in the opening verses of James chapter 4? He talks about our fights and our quarrels. He talks about the war that we have. He even throws in words like murder in this place. And he begins to talk about these struggles. Now, when you look at those opening verses of James chapter 4, there's a little bit of a tension as you go back and forth to try to understand James chapter 4 because he's talking about these struggles and these fights that you may have. And it's a little bit difficult to understand whether he is talking about external fights, struggles, and quarrels or whether he's talking about internal fights, struggles, and quarrels. And it's a little bit confusing because actually if you look at the last few verses of chapter 3, he's talking about conflict. He's talking about conflict with the tongue. But he goes back and says, listen, one of the reasons why you have conflict, one of the reasons why you're struggling in this way is because you have bitter jealousy and you are striving from selfish ambition. Now those are external conflicts. And so he is moving from the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4, and he says, do you ever wonder why you have struggle and conflict and quarrels among you? And you can see how it leans into those verses and before. It is the external struggles that we are having. But at the same time, he moves forward in chapter 4, and he talks about your desires and your passions, and there are things that are within you. And so suddenly it seems as though he's talking more about internal struggles. Well well, here's what James would tell you that your in your external struggles are caused by your internal struggles. The reason why you have a tough time with folks out there sometimes is because you're struggling with stuff inside of you. And In fact, as we take a look at this, he he talks about what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is this not your passions that are at war within you? See, it's it's the two things. Externally, what is causing conflict among you? Well, it's the things that are causing conflict within you. And He really points this down and He starts talking about the things He's talking about the things that are coming from inside of us and He's talking about your passions. He's talking about those things that fire you up on the inside. He's talking about those things that are the things that you desire. He talks about the things that you covet, He talks about the things that you chase after, the things that you want. And you do not have, and it bugs you from the inside out, that these are the things that I'm chasing after. And he says, listen, because we're chasing after the wrong things, we have tension and war within us, which is causing conflict outside of us. And if we want to deal with the conflict that's out there, then we have to deal with the conflict that's in us. Now, the reason why there's conflict in us is that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, then you have the Spirit of God that's dwelling inside of you. And so there is a pull. There is a draw to the things that are right and good and holy and of God and of the kingdom. And there is that pull in those directions. But, because we haven't quite reached heaven yet, There are still some things that are of my flesh. There are still some things of this world. There there are still some things that I just want because I just want them. And it is that tension, it is that struggle that is at war within us that is causing that conflict. It is the things that we are chasing after. James even goes further and says, it's not just that we're chasing after them. He says, but we're chasing after them in our own strength. He he says, some of the things that you desire, some of the things that you want, some of the things that you're chasing after, he says, the reason you don't have them is because you didn't ask. You didn't actually think to say, God, this is a need that's in my life. This is a place. And we didn't turn it over to Him. But we took in our own strength, our own desire, our own plans and said, I've got to get to there. And it's us that's driving in that direction. James says part of the struggle that's inside of you is your passions, the things that you covet. He even talks about murder in this place. And I think, you know, I don't know that there was, a, there was a murder spree that was going on in James's church. I, I think it has to do with what what his half-brother Jesus taught, that if you look at somebody with anger in your heart, Jesus says it's, it's breaking the commandment that thou shalt not kill. And, and so he says this, this disturbance from the inside is impacting out there. And he says part of the reason why you do not have the things that you really want is you never thought to hand it over to God. You've been doing it in your own strength. But James continues to dig down a little bit deeper. And again, sometimes we wish that James wouldn't dig any deeper. We just kind of leave it at the surface, James. But but he digs down a little bit deeper. He says, listen, part of the problem that you have is that you're chasing the wrong stuff. And and it's your passions and things like, oh, I really, really want that. He says part of the reason why you don't have the things that you want is because you didn't think to ask God for it. But then he says, listen, this selfish ambition and this bitter jealousy and these passions and the things that we covet, they run so deep inside of us that they even color and rearrange our prayer life. And he says even when you do ask, You ask for the wrong reasons. You you, you ask out of selfishness and your own passions. And so even when we do think, oh, this is something that I really want, I ought to pray about it. James says we we pray for the wrong reasons. Now, prayer is one of the most beautiful and profound things that we ever do in our life. But, But sometimes prayer is also confusing What exactly is happening when I pray? And I will explain that to you as soon as I fully figure it out. But I'll tell you the one thing that I know that happens when I pray is that I'm exchanging my agenda for God's agenda. And say, God, this is an area of concern in my life. This is an area of trouble in my life. This is something that's weighing heavily on me. I'm going to move it off of my plate, and I'm going to put it on your plate. And that moves it to his power. But it also moves it to his will and to his agenda. There's all kinds of things that I would like to pray for and that that I would like to see happen. But part of what I'm doing when I'm praying is saying, God, not my will, but yours what your plan, what your agenda for this part of my life may be different than what mine is. I'm asking you, God, for my life to be easy. And God says, what I need right now is for your life to be challenging. I'm asking for financial reward. God said, I need you to actually trust me through some hard things right now. I'm asking for some short-term solutions. God says, well, actually what I want in your life is some long-term solutions. You see, part of the reason why we struggle is that we haven't even, we're chasing after our own stuff. Sometimes we struggle because we haven't even thought to ask God, and then sometimes we have asked God, but we've asked God to sign up to our agenda and say, God, this really matters to me, so if you'll just do the things that I ask you to do, we'll all be good that's not prayer. That, that's not turning that over. And, and so James says, listen, one of the areas that you got to do is you've you got to kind of take a look at some of this angst that's coming inside of you that shows up in relationships sometimes and shows up in dissatisfaction in your own life sometimes. And you got to just kind of unpack that. And say, how much of that is an evidence because I'm chasing after my will instead of turning things over to his will? If we understand some of those fights, quarrels, and struggles that are outside and inside, and we begin to use those as places where we trust God with more and more parts of our life, then we'll see spiritual growth in our lives if we can begin to understand our fights. The next area that he wants us to focus on is, he says, you need to watch your friendships. Watch your friendships. Now, now, we can take this in several different ways. You can kind of say, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. I got to keep an eye on them. They're, you know, they're a snake or whatever. That, that's not exactly what he's talking about here. In fact, James makes one of those hard shifts right here. Did, did, did you notice it? Remember, he... he, he he calls us brothers. He calls us brothers and sisters throughout the whole passage. And then every once in a while, he, he kind of changes the, the tone for a moment. He, he says, listen, you, you got these struggles inside of you, these quarrels are within you, and, and you ask for your own purpose and your own passion. And he shifts into the statement that says, you adulterous Man, there's no way to say that with a smile, is it? I mean, that, that's a pop in the mouth. Anytime someone says that to us, you know, first of all, when it's talking about adultery, it, it's talking about unfaithfulness in marriage. That, that's a hard statement. There's a statement that says that you have vowed, that says that, that my life will be knitted to my spouse from this day forward and forever, and I will be faithful to them forever. And adultery is a break in that vow. And as we think about our own world and our own relationships, that's one of the hardest things, is when that gets broken. James takes that word of marital unfaithfulness, and using the language of Scripture, he applies that to us spiritually. It says, just as terrible as it is for you to be unfaithful to your spouse. He says, you've been unfaithful to God. You have been unfaithful to your Lord and Savior. You have been unfaithful to Jesus, in part because you're chasing after the wrong things. Friends, brothers, you adulterous And the transition that he makes here, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know that being friends with the world is the same thing as being enemies with God? Now again, if you were to make a list of top 10 most convicting sentences In all of Scripture, this has got to be at least an honorable mention, if not on the top ten. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or being enemies with God? I think in large part, I think as we stop and we listen to these words from scriptures, we, we focus on this. This morning there's a quick check in my life and say, wait a minute, am I being friends with the world? Because I don't want to be enemies with God. Is there a part of my life that, that is out of order? And am I being too friendly with this world? Well, it's possible. But I think the complication here is, okay, but what does is, what is friendship with this world look like? What, what are we talking about with friendship with this world? And sometimes we have defined friendship with the world as proximity with the world or relationship with the world or, or just being in some of the same geographical space as the world. But, but I would tell you that however we define friendship with the world, we have to keep in mind the life and ministry of Jesus. One of the things that we see from the Gospels is that Jesus did not spend his life in a hermeneutic, hermeneutic sealed away. I'm just trying to think of the Johnny Carson line there. Hermetically sealed. That's what it was. Hermetically sealed in a mayonnaise jar. Old joke. Um, but that's not how Jesus spent his life. He spent his life interacting with the people of this world. And in fact, when they made a list of complaints about Jesus, that was at the top. Jesus, you're hanging out with messed up people. It was almost as though they could say, Jesus, you you have too much friendship with the world. But we know that's not the case. You see, part of the thing with, with Jesus, or the totality of the thing, is that Jesus brought the presence of God to the broken world. And it wasn't so much that through his relationships that the broken world stained or damaged the presence of God that was Jesus. It was relationship. And so one of the things is that when Jesus spent time with lost and messed up people, And his life intersected with broken, sinful, separated from God people all of the time. He did it on purpose. But in those interactions, in those intersections, you would smell the presence of God on the people that he was with, not the presence of sin on Jesus. That's the profoundness of what Jesus brought into that place. Now it's difficult for us to figure out how do we relate. The best way that I understand it is, is geometry. Do you remember geometry? It has to do with lines. That the lines go this way and this way. That there's this thing where they say well, are these lines parallel? And parallel means that they are going to go on forever and run right next to each other the exact same direction for all of eternity. I would tell you that as a believer in Christ, we need to be very careful about who our lives run parallel to. The day in, day out, we are heading the same direction. But the other part that happens with lines is if they are not parallel, they will intersect. And that means they will cross each other. I would tell you that as a believer in Christ, it is our task for our lives to intersect the lives of as many lost people as possible. We should talk to as many people who don't know God. We we should engage with as many people. We should be kind to as many people. We, We should have lunch with people. We should interact with people so that they can smell the presence of God on our lives. We intersect with as many people as we possibly can but we only run parallel to the people who are moving to the same place that we want to move, and that is to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Parallel with people going the same direction that we want to go, but intersect with as many people as possible. But the problem here is that this kind of leans back into what we were just talking about. It was having the same agenda as this world, chasing after the same desires as this world chases after. It's not a matter that Jesus spent time with these people. It is a matter that Jesus never, he never embraced the agenda of a lost world, he never had the same priorities as a lost world. And so we are to be there, but we are not to embrace that same agenda. In fact, the passage kind of gives us instruction on how to live in this world. He talks about the fact, he talks about the character of God. He says, listen, God cares about these friendships and relationships because it says, do you not know that Jesus, that God is jealous over your heart when someone else has taken the throne of our heart the center the attention the passion the centralness of our affections god is jealous that someone has taken his place in your life Another one of those moments that just kind of like, oof. But do you hear the next sentence there? It says, But God gives more grace. He says, He's jealous for your life. And He feels it. When the place of your heart that belongs to Him is given to something else, He is jealous for that. And he gives more grace. I got to tell you that those sentences absolutely captured me this week. If I could tell you something about our God, I would tell you two things. He is jealous for your life. And he gives more grace. He is jealous for your life and he gives more grace. So how do we respond to that? Well, well, here are these verses that are great verses in James. Uh, He says he gives more grace in verse 6. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. His agenda. He says, "God, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he describes some words of humility and confession. He says, cleanse your hands. He says, stop laughing and start weeping. Because we recognize that that we have given our hearts over to other things other than God. And we have chased after the wrong things. But if we will weep over those things, if we will cleanse ourselves over those things, if we will be humble over the broken places in our life, then He will pour grace into our life. He will bring truckloads of grace for our lives. Humble yourself, and He will lift you up. Submit to Him. Chase after Him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have to watch our friendships, the affection of our heart, to be on the things of God. And anything that takes the seat that belongs to God is something we need to run from. The next one is, we need to lean in to our faith family. There's just a last couple of verses here that talk about judging our brothers. He says, verse 11, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We're back to brothers again. Although he did just call us a bunch of adulterous people, which feels like he just spoke evil about us. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So what are we supposed to do? One of the most common phrases that people say, you can't judge me. Who are you to judge me? And there's a couple of different passages of Scripture that, uh, that, that focus on this. Matthew chapter 7 it begins with the phrase, judge not lest ye be judged. And it talks about the the, the danger that says that you're trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye and, you, and you've got this giant pole or tree sticking out of your own eye. Judge not lest ye be judged. Don't be chasing the speck in someone else's eye while you've got this pole sticking in your eye. But do you know what the rest of that passage says? It says, so remove that pole from your eye, so that then you can care for the speck that's in somebody else's eye. you got to read the whole thing. It doesn't say don't ever judge anybody, but it says make sure that you judge yourself first so that you can be useful to somebody else. If you're just focused on other people's stuff, then then you're going to miss it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a, there's a grievous sin that is, that is in the presence of the church and the people in the church are just ignoring it. In fact, the, the, the sin is so grievous that there are people in the church that are. it seems as though they're chuckling about it. Oh man, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh man, is that a mess or what? And and Paul says, you only take care of that. And if that person doesn't repent, they got to they step out of the life of the church because of their rebellion. But one of the things that people don't pay attention to is that the bottom half of Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, now, I'm only talking about believers. He, he says the idea of expecting non-believers to behave like believers when believers can't even behave like believers is, is kind of a mess. He says, there's a standard here that I'm holding for people who are followers of Christ. There's behaviors that unbelievers commit. It's wrong and it's a mess, but the first thing they've got to do is they've got to become believers. You can't judge them on the same standard of believers when they don't have the power of God inside of them. They've not submitted their lives to Christ. And here in this passage... What it talks about is, listen, when we talk about who's being friends with the world and who's not being friends with the world, you know who the passage is talking about? It's talking about me. It's talking about you. Hey, when this passage is written to us, it is not for us to look across the room and say, hmm, I think they're being friends with the world. But that's not what the point. The point is you. You, me. Where is my heart? Where is my life? Because the truth is, is that I'm under the law. They're under the law. And I can't just pick and choose the parts of the law for me to apply to them that I haven't applied to me. And so the first application here is, how does this apply to me? You see, sometimes we, we have a tendency to hear a message, to hear a word from God and say, boy, you know who really ought to hear this? Or, boy, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. When the Spirit of God says, no, 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 I need you to listen to this, because this is about you. We are supposed to lean in and care for one another, not be judging one another but to apply this to my life first. And then maybe if there's some things in my life that I've been able to fix because I love and care for someone else, then maybe I can come alongside of them next. But not to judge them, but to care for them. To help them find the same healing that I have humbly found in my own life. Now, I do want you to notice this emphasis here on faith that is lived with others. There is a presumption, there is a presumption that you're going to live out your faith in community with other people. Now, I don't have to tell you all that. You're here at the early service on a holiday weekend. You are doing that. But don't miss this expectation that God has. We do our faith as community as people together so that we can lean in on relationships and our relationships will help us to grow in our walk with you. So what does this mean for us uh, this morning? Well, can I make a confession? I'm not a very good golfer. I I may be the worst golfer in the entire room. I'm terrible. Now, I may remember what I've seen in an article or what someone has told me about where my feet are supposed to go and what's supposed to happen with my front shoulder and what I'm supposed to do with my head. But because I haven't done that work, it's just head knowledge. It hasn't rearranged my life in any way. Now I would say to you that every time that we come to the Word of God, they may be things that we can Remember some things that, that we can know. But, but just making notes on a sermon or a Sunday school lesson doesn't get us there. Until we do the work to understand our fights. And until we begin to examine where our affections are, where our truest friendships that we're chasing after are, we lean into relationship to build each other up, and until we work those things and break a sweat in those places of our lives, then it's just a list, and a list that we know (laughs) doesn't change our lives until we say, okay, this is the assignment that God has given me, and I'm going to work on this because he's pointed this out in my life, I'm going to work on this. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be awkward and I'm going to have to learn some new habits and some new routines. And I'm going to have to catch myself every once in a while. But because it's what he's shown me, it's the work that I'm going to do. So this morning, I don't want you to just know the list but I want you to be ready to work on some stuff and let God do that work inside of you. Let me pray for you.